Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. What's up, guys? It's Jason from Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel. Football season is here, and there is no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. It's my favorite sports gambling app out there. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. They have exclusive offers, tons of ways to play, like spread and money line, over-unders, team totals, same-game parlays, where you can combine multiple bets from the same game. My favorite feature is that cash-out feature. So if you already feel pretty good about your bet and you're in good shape but you don't want to lose whatever it is based on some stupid thing with garbage time at the end, you can cash out your winnings before the end of the game. Use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this football season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, Permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467 369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia.
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Friday again, everyone. You might notice that I have a different haircut than I did for my last Friday show. That's because I actually recorded Friday's show yesterday, expecting to have the day off. And of course, I was getting on top of some stuff, uh, just running some errands and got away from my phone for a couple of hours. And Next thing you know, there's a new Los Angeles Laker uh, coming hand in hand with a report from Jovan Buha that strongly hints <clears throat> that Russell Westbrook will still be a Laker going into training camp next week. Not just a Laker, but the third best point guard on the roster for day one. Super interesting. I am not going to go for very long today, just about 10-15 minutes. I have a couple of different angles that I want to look at here you know, uh, if you guys remember from the earlier video this afternoon when we were uh, talking about the Dallas Mavericks, and then I also tweeted some stuff earlier today after Germany lost in the semifinals of Eurobasket, I talked about how I thought Dennis Schroeder was an excellent fit for the Dallas Mavericks and some specific needs that they had on their roster. And I'd been thinking a lot about it because Dallas's kind of system and we talked about this a lot earlier today, so I encourage you to watch that Dallas Mavericks video. But they are a isolation and pick-and-roll offense entirely. And it's very similar to the 2018 Rockets where they just space you out and they need guys to create advantages with a live dribble. And their whole system last year was built on having three guards that could do it. You know, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Luka Doncic. They lost Jalen Brunson, didn't replace him. I thought Dennis Schroeder was the obvious fit there. So I was kind of already in a Dennis Schroeder frame of mind today. And then next thing you know, he's a Laker. And there's a lot to get into there. First of all, he is a starting level NBA point guard. Before we go any further into anything, he's a starting level NBA point guard. That automatically makes him a great signing for the Lakers. Because for any of you who have listened to my show over the course of this summer, I've talked about how the Lakers have very few rotation-level NBA players. Jovan Buha, in his article, talked about how there was a starting battle, you know, like uh, for a starting position on the roster between Austin Reeves and uh, Lonnie Walker, right? Or Damian Jones and uh, Thomas Bryant from the Washington Wizards last year, right? And I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, and I like Austin Reeves, and I think he will one day very soon be a starting level NBA two guard, but I don't quite think he's there yet. And Thomas Bryant and and uh, Damian Jones are both pretty solid. I'm not a huge fan of Lonnie Walker, but I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, all four of those guys, though, even with as much as I like Austin Reeves, all four of those guys would have been out of the rotation entirely, not just the starting lineup, out of the rotation for the Boston Celtics, for the Golden State Warriors, Probably for the Milwaukee Bucks, too. Probably for the LA Clippers, too, when they're healthy and at, at, at full strength. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, the Lakers just don't have a ton of rotation-level playoff players. And with the Patrick Beverly trade, they got one. And now you could say, like, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Patrick Beverly. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Russ for all the reasons that we've talked about in the past, but I theoretically, if he figures out some role player things, he could become that fourth guy. Well, you just signed that fourth guy. So at the very least, it's an influx of talent to a team that doesn't have the luxury of turning away talent for fit. 
They have to try to make it work with Dennis Schroeder because they simply don't have enough good basketball players to do anything else. Now, um, before we talk about what he's going to do for the Lakers, I want to talk about his strengths and weaknesses in general because I, I actually it was ironic. I was sitting there today and I was like, man, in that Dallas Mavericks video that I recorded, I talked a lot about Dennis Schroeder and what I expected him to do for the Mavs, but I never actually talked about his strengths and weaknesses. And I obviously covered him with Raj and with the State of the Lakers show during the 2021 season when he was a Lakers. So obviously I'd know as much about him as anybody else these days. And the, he's got a couple of really good strengths, and then he's got some pretty big weaknesses, right? He can get to the rim with ease, as good as any guard in the league especially against bigs on switches, which is a unique thing, especially in a playoff environment, theoretically. It didn't really manifest because he had a pretty rough series against Phoenix, but that more had to do with his jump shot, which we'll get to. Um, Rim pressure, and we talked about this a lot on the show, rim pressure is an immensely important aspect of basketball. There are all sorts of positives that come from it. The first of which is collapsing the defense. And when you collapse the defense, that just simply creates openings on the perimeter for players to either knock down spot of threes or to attack closeouts. That's a huge positive. <clears throat> and when you get really good players that are gifted with rim pressure, and you saw this a lot with LeBron James and Dennis Schroeder together in 2021, teams tend to abandon everything on the perimeter and just pack the paint because they know that's your bread and butter. In addition to that, rim pressure, even when you miss layups, leads to benefits in offensive rebounding. So, for instance, the Lakers will probably play big most of the season. That means you're going to see a lot of Damian Jones and Anthony Davis, a lot of uh, Damian Jones and LeBron, a lot of Thomas Bryant and Anthony Davis, a lot of those two bigs and LeBron, right? You're going to just see huge front lines from the Lakers all season. If Dennis Schroeder gets by his man and gets to the rim and draws the shot blocker over and he throws some crazy looping scoop shot up and he misses it high off the glass, who's there waiting? one of those massive bigs whose defender just stepped over to help on Dennis Schroeder. There's, a, there's just a monumental uh, a positive impact that comes with rim pressure. Even when I was talking about Russ and all of the negative things that he brought this year, his rim pressure was his major positive contribution. That is the thing even that Russell Westbrook fans clung to as his big positive impact. And there is no doubt that there is a positive impact that comes with rim pressure. On the other side of the floor, Dennis Schroeder is an excellent point-of-attack defender. He's aggressive. He applies ball pressure. He makes people feel uncomfortable. He's a competitor. He brings it every night. He slides his feet, and he keeps his man in front. He did that all year long with the Lakers, and it's a huge part of why they were such a good defense, even without LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor. If you remember that year, the Lakers finished with the number one defense in the league and didn't have a single player make the all-defense team. They, made, they were the number one defense in the league, and they didn't have LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the lineup for most of that season. And a huge part of that was contribution from the role players. Contavious Caldwell-Pope had a great defensive season. Kyle Kuzma had a great defensive season. And Dennis Schroeder, with all of the lineup turno, uh, turmoil, with everything that was going wrong with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, Dennis Schroeder was there every night defending his ass off and leading that team to win just enough basketball games to cloud a playoff spot so that LeBron James and Anthony Davis could come back, obviously for nothing as a result of, LeBron, uh, of Anthony Davis's groin injury. But he has two elite strengths. He can get to the rim as well as any guard in the league, 
and he can defend at the point of attack as well as most of the guards in the league. That automatically makes you a huge net positive over any other option that the Lakers have in the backcourt, at least among, you know, again, again, I like Austin Reeves. I think he's going to play a lot this year. I think he will be a long-term two-guard in this league that will play big minutes for good teams. But he's young. He doesn't shoot the ball well enough right now. He's got a couple of things he's got to work out, right? Outside of that, it's a lot of young athletic role players that are pretty you know, up and down and not going to be dependable and reliable in an NBA season. So what? What? Uh, moving to his weaknesses really quick, he's a below average shooter, both in pull-up situations and in catch-and-shoot situations. In the last two seasons, uh, in each season, he shot about four pull-up jumpers per game, and in both seasons shot just under 39%. That's below average. Catch-and-shoot threes, he shot um, in the low 30s. And he did shoot 40% on pull-up threes with the Lakers. I was shocked when I saw that because the eye test made it look worse. I think a huge part of that is when Dennis Schroeder comes off of screens, it doesn't look like Dame Lillard coming over the top of the screen and shooting a crazy pull-up three with a defender draped on his backside. It's them going way under the screen on Dennis and him stopping and shooting a set shot. And just in terms of the eye test, when you see players taking like completely wide open jumpers and only shooting 40%, it comes off as less impactful than 40% on high volume. And in that Lakers season, I think he was taking fewer than two pull-up threes per game. So jump shooting can be a problem. And especially in that Phoenix Sun series, Dennis Schroeder got to the point where he lost confidence in his jump shot to such a great extent that he was pump faking at ghosts. And LeBron would like drive into traffic and kick to Dennis. He'd have 10 feet between him and the defender and he'd pump fake, and then kind of like wait for the defender to close out and then try to drive by him. And so his jump shot is absolutely an issue. He's also a little bit undersized. And when you're dealing with uh, size issues like that, it can really rear its ugly head in the playoffs when teams start attacking matchups. If you face the LA Clippers, you can bet your ass that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are going to be hunting a guy like uh, Dennis Schroeder to get to spots on the floor where they can get to their uh, post game, specifically mid-range pull-ups you know, out of the post, like over their left shoulder and right shoulder, things like that. So... Obviously, he's got some glaring weaknesses, but he's got some big strengths. And again, the Lakers don't have the luxury of being able to turn away talent. They have to take him because this is not a very talented roster at this point. What do you use him with the, uh, with the Lakers? How do you use him? Now, my guess from the reporting from Jovan Buha is they're going to probably end up starting either Austin Reeves or Lonnie Walker at the two, play big with probably Damian Jones at the center next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Patrick Beverly at center or Russell Westbrook at center if he manages to convince Darvin Ham to start. What I would do if I was coaching the Lakers, I would go all in on ball pressure in the backcourt. Uh, people are going to be uh, concerned about size with this concept because what I'm advocating for is Patrick Beverly at, uh, at point guard and Dennis Schroeder at the two or who, who gives a shit what, the, what the, the positions are called. I would start them both in the backcourt. Now your concern would be size and I get that, but a couple of things. First of all, Patrick Beverly rebounds very well for his position. Both Dennis Schroeder and Patrick Beverly are very scrappy and make it difficult on players that try to punish them with their size. And most importantly, and those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time will pick this up right away. Aggregate size is what matters the most. It's far more important for the total lineup size to be able to fulfill all the size responsibilities on the floor than for one specific position to be an issue. If you are playing big and you have LeBron James at the three and Anthony freaking Davis, one of the best uh, defensive players of all time at the four, 
and you have Thomas Bryant or Damian Jones, I think it'll be Damian Jones, at the center position, you're so big in the front court that you can get away with some size issues in the backcourt. Defensive rebounding, yes, they're going to have have situations where they're boxing a guy out and a guy can jump over the top, but you have so much size elsewhere compensating there, it helps. Scramming them out of post mismatches. When you have that kind of, if they try to post up Patrick Beverly, you've got so much length and athleticism on your back line that you can afford to double team him out of that because you can recover out of it. It's aggregate size, it's aggregate athleticism, it's aggregate defensive talent that can cover for those things. So I would lean heavily on Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder together on the back line, or on the front line, excuse me, uh, in the backcourt, ball pressuring making people feel uncomfortable from the opening tip. Imagine a world where you're throwing up the opening tip and from the very first possession, Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder are up in you in ball pressure, making everything difficult, picking you up as soon as you cross the half court line, and most importantly, funneling you. When you ball pressure, it automatically, the in, the first instinct of every ball handler against ball pressure is to drive past them. And that's how you're taught to deal with it, you know, make a quick move and go around them. If they, if they go around them, there's this massive uh, front line in LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Damian Jones waiting behind them to clean things up. It's very similar to what they did in the 2020 season when they chased teams off the line and tried to funnel them in to their shot blockers. So I would start Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder together. I'd go all in on ball pressure, funneling things into the paint give up the mid-range pull-ups, give up the floaters and things along those lines, and I think you could functionally put together a dominant defense because that's two excellent point-of-attack defenders. LeBron James, who is, when he's engaged, is one of the best backline defenders in the league. Anthony Davis is even way better than LeBron, and then you have Damian Jones, who's a solid starter in this league as an athletic, rim-protecting, rim-running type of center. That's what I would do. Secondly, the Lakers did not have a legit backup shot creator. If you guys remember, that's why I was a big fan of the Buddy Heald trade. I wanted them to go after Buddy Heald because I was scared that LeBron would be the only guy on the team that could create his own shot. Anthony Davis has proven that he can do, when he's making jump shots, he can do some stuff as an isolation player out of the post, but it's not like he's bringing the ball up the floor and running your offense for you, and Patrick Beverly's not up to that task. And as we talked about, if you guys remember in the Lakers video, I broke down with the numbers. Russell Westbrook was the worst volume ball handler in all of basketball last year. Like, if you actually looked in the total picture of his pull-up jump shooting, his rim finishing, his catch-and-shoot shooting, like, everything that he did on the basketball court as a primary shot creator, he was one of the worst. So he's not up to that task either. So bringing Dennis Schroeder in as a legit secondary shot creator who can be a second side creator on the floor with LeBron and help run the offense when LeBron's on the bench, that would go a long way towards adding the, the shot creation that the Lakers need. So in summation, even though I thought he was a better fit for Dallas, even though I'm kind of stunned that Dallas couldn't pull this off, and even though I thought De Dennis probably should have picked Dallas – because it was his best opportunity to put up great numbers and help get a long-term deal next summer, I'm glad that the Lakers got him because they just need talent. He fits that talent. It'll be a very unorthodox team. They'll be tiny in the backcourt, huge in the front court. Their spacing is going to be shit, but what else is new? The Lakers have had terrible spacing for years now. The, the reality is, is any influx of talent is a positive for the Lakers so I'm looking at it as a positive for the Lakers. So moving on to the Russ side of this. 
Jovan Buha's report, which is in line with everything that we've heard in recent weeks, is that the Lakers are leaning towards keeping Russ. And the main reason why there is the 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 legitimization that the Lakers are using is they're keeping an eye on next summer because they're going to have this cap space, which completely discounts the fact that they'd ha- they'd have to release roster control of like if they wanted to hit thirty five million, which is what they're shooting for, and in order to hit that thirty five million number next summer, they would have to cut ties with every single player on the roster, not named LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That means. Every one of their draft picks from this year, they'd have to let go. So, you know, if you're into, if you think Cole Swider is a good basketball player, say goodbye to Cole Swider. If you think Max Christie is a good basketball player, say goodbye to Max Christie. You've invested in Austin Reeves, say goodbye to Austin Reeves. You'd have to say goodbye to all of those guys to get to that 35 million mark. There's no guarantee that Kyrie's coming because why would Kyrie leave if they have a good season with the Nets? If they have a good season, he's staying. Okay, yeah, Chris Middleton could be a free agent. What makes you think he's leaving the Bucks? Andrew Wiggins could be a free agent. What makes you think he's leaving the Warriors? There's just not a lot of good options. And betting on that, I thought, didn't make a ton of sense. It was the obvious like recoil defense from the Lakers brass. And I knew it was coming as soon as they sent Ramona Shelburne on with Zach Lowe because Ramona Shelburne has always been like the advocate for Jeannie Buss in the media. She always goes out and does some sort of big appearance on one of the major basketball shows when it's time to explain why Jeannie Buss is doing something. And she was all in on that. We're looking at next summer and, oh, these trades don't make us a contender. Where I disagreed with that so much is the simple fact that the, the one time that things worked out for the Lakers, if you look back at this whole era, the LeBron James and Anthony Davis era, it's been a disaster for the most part. But there was one season where it worked out. What happened, guys? That was the season when the third star didn't work out. That was the season when they just had a bunch of role players around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's the one thing we have concrete proof works in the NBA. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, lots of good role players. So even though I understand the hesitancy to take on long-term money, even though I understand the hesitancy to give up a draft pick in 2027 and 2029 that you might be able to flip for a star in the future, even though I understand that, the reality is, is if you could flip those picks and Russ for role players, the likes of Boyan Bogdanovich or Malik Beasley or Rudy Gay, that brings in role players that are proven to succeed alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That is a proven formula. And so what I don't understand about that method is you have LeBron James right now in his 20th season. You have Anthony Davis right now. Why not invest in this right now? Banking on LeBron in his 21st season, we're at a point now with his age where the risk is getting exponentially higher with each passing month. He's going to be, what, 39 during the age 21 season, he'll turn 39 in that December. That's what you're betting on? Is cap space that you can use when LeBron is 39? I really don't understand that thought process. And most importantly, now you're bringing Russ to camp, which we already talked about was insane after everything he said in his exit interview, after everything that transpired on the court last year, with all the toxicity surrounding the fan base and God knows what else that was going on in that locker room, it was already insane to bring him back. But now you brought in two point guards this summer that are better than him. Now, to be clear, Russ should be better than both of them, but he doesn't defend nearly as well as Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder do. He's not nearly as efficient as Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder are. He 
is not as good as a ba- at basketball right now as those two players are because of his weaknesses in the little winning details of the game of basketball. So yes, Russ should be better than them both in theory, but he's not. So you're bringing him to camp after everything that happened with two point guards who are better than him and will probably deserve his starting spot, which means one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to be benched, which will only further extend the toxicity of the situation, or he's going to be starting over players he has no business starting over. That's what you're signing up for by bringing him back. All of that for cap space for a weak free agency class headlined by a player that is as flaky as anybody in the league and in all likelihood will stay in Brooklyn if they have anything near a successful season. That's the type of decision-making process taking place with Lakers brass right now. It's something I vehemently disagree with. And and look, it, it might all pay off. Maybe Russ goes to camp and is invigorated by the competition between Dennis and Pat and finally embraces all of the things that he never did in his career. But I find it extremely unlikely, and I thought it was a foolish bet on the Lakers' part to go that route. I would have flipped him for that Utah Jazz package, a Boyan Bogdanovich, Malik Beasley, and Rudy Gay, or some combination of those role players, knowing that, yeah, you sacrifice a little bit of that cap flexibility, but that's a sure thing over a maybe. And most importantly, this is LeBron's 20th season. This might be his last truly great season. This is where you have to push your chips in. And I cannot believe that they're even considering punting the season for the sake of something that might happen in the future under that circumstance. It's very confusing. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole-body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription. And free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Hoops. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, 
Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Football season is underway, so now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with promo code Jason T. There are two bets that I really like this weekend. I really like the Saints at home against the Buccaneers. They're two-and-a-half-point underdogs. They've always had the Buccaneers number, especially at home. I think that's a game they're going to win. And then I know I said I was going to fade the Dallas Cowboys all season, and yes, the Dak Prescott injury does not look promising, but seven-and-a-half is a huge line, so I will be on the Dallas Cowboys plus seven-and-a-half this week against the Cincinnati Bengals. FanDuel is my favorite sportsbook app. It's safe, it's easy to use, it's easy to get your money out, and I really like that cash-out feature, giving you the ability to take the winnings from your bet at a slight discount just so that you avoid any sort of shenanigans that could happen in garbage time. It's one of my favorite features. So sign up today with promo code Jason T for your no sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Moving on with our power rankings today with number nine, the Dallas Mavericks. Very interesting team that had a very successful season last year and has made a couple of interesting changes during this offseason. We're going to get right into it. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And last but not least, if you can't finish one of these and you can't get back over to YouTube, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. So let's talk some basketball. The Dallas Mavericks last year went 52-30. and 30. They lost in five kind of ugly, disappointing fashion in the Western Conference Finals to the Golden State Warriors. Andrew Wiggins gave Luka a nightmare playoff series, the worst playoff series that he's had since he came into this league. <clears throat> Uh, We're going to talk a lot about some of the details of that series later on in the show. Um, In the regular season, they were 14th in offense and 7th in defense. In this offseason, the biggest, the two biggest uh, changes from last year's rosters, obviously they lost Jalen Brunson um, to the New York Knicks. Now, that, that makes this a little bit tough to project moving forward because the Dallas Mavericks offensive system is designed on three ball handlers and there's always two on the floor at any given moment. And then they might close with all three, but the idea is, is they're constantly spelling each other in the rotation. And so losing Jalen Brunson is a pretty significant loss. Now over in Europe, 
Dennis Schroeder is playing some of the best basketball of his career for Germany. So, and there's a lot of intel out there that he will be picked up by an NBA roster pretty quickly after this tournament over there. So my expectation is that there's a great fit here for both sides between the Dallas Mavericks and Dennis Schroeder. First of all, Dallas desperately needs that third ball handler. And second of all, Dennis Schroeder, in terms of what he could do while he's in Dallas, this is an excellent place to go, especially in a contract year, which obviously is a player who will be signing some form of short, short-term deal and needs to prove himself. This is a great place to go to put up numbers because with the way that Dallas's offense is set up, and we're going to get a lot deeper into that, Dennis is going to be set up to succeed. He's going to be operating in a lot of space, and the ball is going to be in his hands, and he's going to be asked to run a lot of isolation and a lot of pick and roll. So I think there's a really natural fit there, and I think that those are the two sides that will come to an agreement. So I expect someone like Dennis Schroeder to be a Dallas Maverick to fill in that role. But for this exact moment in time, they're down to just the two ball handlers with the loss of Jalen Brunson. But they did trade for Christian Wood, losing only players who were not in their rotation during the playoffs. And now Christian Wood, it's tough because he's a super talented forward that can dribble and shoot better than the vast majority of big men that we have in this league and has a great deal of athleticism, but he's been playing in losing environments his entire career. And we kind of briefly touched on this topic a lot during this show, but the concept of winning basketball, and it's very, very different from just running up and down the floor and scoring. I I tell this story all the time, but when I was a freshman in college, I was on a really bad team And I averaged 16 points a game and had a bunch of big scoring nights. But I wasn't a good basketball player. I was just putting up numbers on a bad team. And then my worst statistical season was on the best team I played for. And on that particular team, I had to learn how to contribute defensively, learn how to contribute in a spot-up role, learn how to contribute by running plays correctly and guarding the other team's best player. It was a completely different type of basketball and role than I had my first year in JUCO. Even though I was more skilled, even though I was older, even though I was more physically developed at that point, it's just different doing it in a winning concept than it is in a losing concept. So over the course of the show, when we get to the offense portion and the defense portion, I'll do the best I can to guess how Christian Wood will impact winning within this winning concept because it probably won't look anything like what he did in Houston. I was talking to my buddy Roosh, um, who covers the Rockets uh, earlier today, and he works for Ball's Life as well. And he was telling me like like the kinds of shots he was taking, they were using him like Kevin Durant, like flying off the screens or bringing the ball up the floor and taking step-back threes. Uh, he actually shot 38% on step back threes or on off the dribble threes last year on over one attempt per game. Chances are he's not going to be taking a lot of those types of shots with Dallas. So that th- those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about. And we will get into that further in the show. Um, they drafted Jaden Hardy, a scoring guard. I don't think he'll be much of a factor this season. Don't know a ton about him either. So as the season progresses, if he does get playing time, I'll update, I'll update you guys on that. <clears throat> and then they signed JaVale McGee. Um, again, I covered JaVale McGee when he was with the Los Angeles Lakers in 2020. Uh, he's a solid backup center. Um, uh, different in the sense that he's very up and down 
JaVale McGee's highs are incredibly high, like incredible dunks, um, a really gifted role man and who has good hand, surprisingly good hands and uh, is surprisingly good at finishing around the basket. Defensively, he can um, be a real problem for people underneath the basket because of how long he is. He's got great length for the position. But the flip side of that is that he's kind of a, a kind of a, a bull in a china shop. It's not the right word. He's kind of just like all over the place. Like he's kind of aloof a lot of the times. He leaves his feet on almost every single pump fake and will get himself out of position. Offensively, he'll freelance every once in a while and try something crazy, and it'll look kind of awkward and ugly, right? That That's kind of the JaVale McGee experience. But the bottom line is he's your classic rim running center that can play drop coverage on one end and screen and roll hard to the rim on the other. Totally fine and serviceable in a backup center role. The big thing that I like specifically there for this defense is last year, uh, Dallas's defense didn't really have a traditional rim protector. And they had a top 10 defense in spite of that. Now, there are some other factors at play that will be uh, interesting to see how their defense looks this year, but JaVale McGee at least gives Jason Kidd an option as a rim-protecting center that he did not have in previous years. And then, like I said, Dennis Schroeder is the guy that I'd keep an eye on as a signing as we get closer to camp. So their depth chart right now as it looks uh, uh, at the guard, Luca. I guess you can call him a guard. Um, usually I say you are who you can guard, but Luca can't really guard anybody at this point. Maybe maybe he can guard big players in the post, but that's about it. Uh, Luka Doncic, Spencer Dinwiddie, Reggie Bullock, and uh, Frank Nikili, uh, Nilakina, Nilakina. I think I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> uh, uh, he played a little bit for them last year in the playoffs, but his inability to knock down jump shots has, has always been a problem in his career. Very gifted defensive player, though. Um, on the wings, Tim Hardaway Jr. should theoretically be back from injury this year. Dorian Finney-Smith, who's turned into a really, really uh, impactful 3 and D player. Uh, Josh Green came through the University of Arizona, similar to uh, similar to Frank Nilakina, good defensive player, good athlete, uh, but his jump shot just isn't dependable enough right now. And then Davis Bertans, who is an incredibly streaky three-point shooter. At the... Uh, as far as bigs go, they got Christian Wood. I'm calling him a big, but they might use him a little bit as a wing this year. JaVale McGee, Dwight Powell, and Maxi Kleba. So, on offense, this is an extremely modern pick and roll and matchup attacking offense. I talked about this yesterday with the Miami Heat, but, um, you know, your offensive process and your defensive process needs to be geared towards what your talent is on the roster. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble when you try to inflict your ideologies on a team if that's not their individual strengths, right? Um, but in terms, in a vacuum, if I could pick my personnel, the two systems that I believe the most in, in terms of what translates best to the postseason are on defense, switching everything, which we talked about yesterday with Miami, and on offense, five out, drive, and kick. And the, the, the core principle there, though, is advantage creation with a live dribble. Uh, the main reason why I believe so much in that is that when you get into the postseason, and we've talked about this a ton on the show, but your, your sets don't seem to function as well as they do in the regular season. Not a big shock. There's a whole lot of scouting. You become deeply familiar with your opponent over the course of the two weeks of the playoff series. And um, teams will find a way to get in front of your sets. 
Also, teams tend to switch more in the postseason, which allows them to get in front of screening actions. So generally speaking, in the playoffs, it does become about live dribble advantage creation. That's why a team like Dallas, who like was 14th in offense in the regular season, because they didn't get as many easy shots from running sets and things along those lines, that offense translated better to the postseason. And that's a huge part of why they were as successful as they were. And at times looked unguardable, especially against Phoenix um, and against Utah. So the, they, they don't like when we look at their numbers, they're 27th in off screen actions in terms of total frequency, 18th in dribble handoffs, 24th in cutting. They're not running the offenses that you see from Golden State and Miami with a ton of motion and a ton of screens and a ton of dribble handoffs. That's just not what you're going to get from the Dallas Mavericks. They are a brute force, spread you out, high pick and roll and isolation offense. And they run it with three creators. They It's your turn, my turn. One guy subs out, another guy comes in, and it's just more and more of the same. And it is a proven playoff offense. I've kind of joked that this team reminds me a lot of the 2018 Rockets. They don't switch as much on defense as the Rockets did, but that's kind of like their approach. It's super modern, can get ugly at times. It's not the most aesthetically appealing basketball, especially to basketball purists who like to see passing and ball movement, but you can't deny its effectiveness. Um, I mentioned how they work with the three shot creators and kind of rotate them in and out. Off of that, it's all play finishers. They either have shooters or roll men, you know, with Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock, Maxi Kleba, you know, Davis Baratons. They're all spotting up looking to shoot, but then they've got, you know, Dwight Powell rolling hard to the rim. They've added two additional roll men this year um, in JaVale McGee and Christian Wood. And when we get to the numbers, you'll see they weren't as good a pick and roll team as they were an isolation team. Improving with their roll men, I think will open some things up for them in pick and roll, make them a little bit more versatile on that front. Um, the, the advantages that this type of offense creates, like there's, there's a reason why it translates well to the postseason. You know, I can, any coach can coach their way ahead of an offense, right? Like if you drill things enough, especially in a playoff series, and you really get good at covering the specific types of sets and concepts that a team likes to run, you can get in front. But if it's just pick and roll, or just isolation, it becomes a simple question of picking your poison as a defense. You can either opt to send extra defensive attention to the ball handler and make him beat you with the pass, or if you play off and stay home, it's about that person and their ability to make shots in that isolation or in that pick and roll. It becomes less about scheme and more about personnel, and that's a big part of why it translates to the postseason. It is... There is no magic fix for isolation with Luka Doncic. If he's going to pick on your weakest defender, it's not like you can coach up that defender to do better and better. I mean, you might be able to get him to do a little bit better over repetition in the series, but the truth of the matter is if he's too small to guard Luka, he's too small to guard Luka. And there's no coaching around that beyond throwing extra defenders. And Luka happens to be one of the best passers in basketball. So again, like I... I I appreciate aesthetically appealing basketball. I appreciate, you know, ball movement and passing and 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 that team game that everyone uh, that a lot of old-fashioned basketball fans love. But at the end of the day, this works and you have to acknowledge it and find the beauty in the process. Like I talk a lot about skill 
on this show, uh, specifically like little tips and tricks within ball handling and post-ups in terms of, you know, how to sell each move or body positioning and things like that. Find beauty in that from their offense and you'll learn to enjoy that a lot more. The manner in which Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka Doncic do what they do in terms of their offensive skill set to me is very fascinating. One of the downsides to their specific style of offense, their, you know, kind of heliocentric uh, um, advantage creation offense is their role players can lose confidence from time to time. They're very, they're specialists, you know, um, they don't have a ton of guys on their team that can dribble pass and shoot. Um, there's just a lot of guys that can either shoot or roll hard to the rim, but they're not, they don't get a lot of the multiple drive and kick system type stuff that can get a team in rotation a lot. And more often than not, they walk the ball up the floor, cross half court at 16 seconds, take another four or five seconds to get into their pick and roll or to get into their isolation. And by the time Luca or Spencer, whoever it is, makes the pass, there's only like four seconds on the shot clock. And it's like you're either shooting that three or you're taking a one dribble pull up or maybe you can kick one more pass to another shooter. But they don't, they don't get the multiple driving kick possessions that can really get a defense in rotation. That's one of their weaknesses. And as a result, and it's a personnel thing. They don't really have the personnel to do that. But as a result, like, you know, look at the Warriors series. Maxi Kleba, his shot stops falling, doesn't have other ways to score, other ways to impact the game. So he loses his confidence and the offense suffers for it. Like that tends to be the case with this type of offense is when the role players are feeling good and knocking down shots, everything's great. But when they start missing, it can kind of snowball from there. And if you look at that Golden State series, man, did things snowball, especially from the role players. They had some really cold shooting stretches that killed them, not the least of which was that second half of game two that they blew. Um, So like I said, 27th in off-screen actions, 18th in dribble handoffs, and 24th in cutting in terms of frequency, so you're not getting any of that. It's all ISO and pick and roll. They were 5th in ISO frequency, 2nd in ISO efficiency. Luka ran 6.3 isolations per game, which was 2nd in the league uh, in terms of volume. He also had 1.11 points per possession, which is amazing. There were only two players in the league last year that ran at least five ISOs and scored at least 1.1 point per possession on them. Take a guess. Luca and Kevin Durant. Spencer Dinwiddie also runs about three isolations per game and was even more efficient than Luca at 1.15 points per possession. He's going to be slotting up into that secondary creator, probably will start for them this year. They were eighth in pick and roll frequency and fifth in pick and roll efficiency. Uh, um, again, I, that, I think that will go up in terms of volume with the addition of Christian Wood and JaVale McGee because now they just have real roll threats. Luca ran 13 pick and rolls per game last year, which was second most in the NBA. He scored 0.93 points per possession, which is only slightly above average. Again, not having a legitimate role man kind of uh, – Dwight Powell's an okay role man, but not as good as the two guys they're bringing in. That I think that I think will open things up for him a little bit more in that regard. Spencer Dinwiddie was also only slightly above average in pick and roll. Jalen Brunson really carried them in pick and roll last year. He was in the 91st percentile in points per possession. So with him coming out, obviously you need someone else in there, hopefully Schroeder, but also the addition of better role men should kind of make up for some of that loss. 
they used to post up a lot when they had Chris, uh, Chris Apps Porzingis on the roster, but they ditched that almost entirely after Chris Apps left. Luca is really the only player on the team that will post up at this point. He did it uh, about three times per game last year and was relatively efficient. Nothing exceptional, but a little bit above average. Um, Christian Wood ran some post-ups with uh, Houston last year and was slightly above average, I think on about two attempts per game. So I'll be interested to see if they dump it down to him in the post a little bit, but I, I doubt it because the league seems to be going away from that in general, and there's only a handful of guys in the league that could do it really well. Um, so I think they'll probably use him more in a perimeter-oriented role or as a role man. The Dallas Mavericks ran in transition less than any team in the entire league. They had the fewest transition possessions. This is about Luka strangling the pace of the game. Now, there's downsides there because when you don't run in transition, you don't get easy opportunities that supplement the rest of your offense. And like we talked about with the Miami Heat, especially when you're a team that can struggle to score a little bit in the half court, having you know handfuls of possessions each quarter where you run out for layups can help a lot. Now, it's about strangling the pace, which is which disrupts the rhythm of the other team. You know, you miss a shot, Luca slowly brings the ball up the floor and methodically works the clock down and gets a good look and it hits something or one of his teammates makes a shot, then you bring it back up the floor. It's been so long since you had the basketball, the game just feels like it's stuck in the mud. It makes it hard for offensive players to feel comfortable. So that's the upside. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate to see, especially with how gifted of a passer Luka is and how gifted a rebounder he is, I wouldn't hate to see him do a little bit more of what Nikola Jokic does, and that's look up the floor after the rebounds. Luka can strangle the pace with his dribble. That doesn't mean the role players necessarily have to walk up the court too. I, I'd like to see a little bit more of like Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock sprinting like crazy up the floor. Even a little JaVale McGee, he did this a little bit when he was with the Lakers with LeBron throwing passes up the floor. But trying to squeeze out a little bit more offense in transition, I think, would be a good idea. So let's talk about Christian Wood and how he fits in here. So again, in in the in this particular type of role with um, with him being on a winning team, he's not going to have the ball in his hands as in as an initiator nearly as much as he did in Houston. So that puts him into that play finisher role, right? Well, let's take a look at what he did last year in terms of a specific shot profile. So he was 41% on wide open threes. That's really good. He was 40% on catch and shoot threes. So bam, before we go any further, he's already going to fit in this system as a spot up threat. He was 38% on pull-up threes, 1.3 attempts per game. Interesting in the sense that uh, I don't think you're going to want him taking pull-up threes early in the offense, but what that does amount to to me is like a late clock threat. You know, Luka goes to a step back with five on the shot clock, doesn't get enough separation, kind of pump fakes. He can swing it to Christian Wood, and Christian Wood can hit a step back. You know what I mean? Like It's kind of like a rescue possession type of thing. He was in the 67th percentile as a role man. When I was talking to my buddy Roosh, who covered the Rockets last year, again, it was a waste of my time because of how how much I had to cover the top teams in the league. It was a waste of my time to watch that much of Christian Wood. I only watched him a handful of times. So I rely a lot on, on, on the tape that I've seen as well as um, people who watched him every single day, like my buddy Roosh, and then the data we have on the, uh, on the NBA.com website. But he said that they were actually pretty damn good 
with um, with Christian Wood as a role man, but that he was hesitant to do so. That translates to the numbers, 67th percentile, but his volume was pretty low. Uh, I want to say he was only uh, registering about two role man possessions per game. So it, it theoretically, in this system, that translates to something he'll do more frequently. He was also a slightly above average isolation player and a slightly above average post player in terms of points per possession. So what of that contributes to a winning environment? Obviously, the spot-up stuff. Obviously, attacking closeouts, um, his ability to dribble the basketball, and his athleticism going to the rim might be able to open some things up in uh, in driving kick types of situations. And then also, um, if the post-up and isolation stuff translates in terms of the winning environment, it'd be interesting to see him as just another option for advantage creation when he has a great matchup. So, for instance, if Christian Wood ends up in a pick and roll, getting a switch onto Luca's man, and Luca can pull the ball away and throw it down to him in the post, or if he, you know, even just in transition running the floor, if he gets the right matchup, it might be interesting to throw to him as a primary initiator. I think you'll find out pretty quickly in the first 10 or so games of the season whether or not that's something Christian Wood's capable of doing in a winning concept uh, or winning context, I should say. Um, he's a player that the Dallas Mavericks have never had before a type of player that the Dallas Mavericks have never had before. So I'm just really interested to see how they end up using him. Defense was where the Dallas Mavericks were most interesting last year. Again, they were seventh in defensive rating, but their personnel wasn't very good, right? Like outside of Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney Smith and Dwight Powell, they didn't really have players that were, you know, their, their reputations weren't that of great defensive players. Most of them, below average. You know, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka Doncic, Maxi Kleba, all these guys were, you know, Davis Bertans, these were all below average defensive players before before this particular season. Uh, they were, as a team last year, they were 29th in steals, 28th in blocks, so they weren't disrupting anything. They didn't have an interior defensive presence, like Dwight Powell is a, a good defensive four, but it's not like he's a rim protector, right? Neither was Maxi Kleba. All of that stuff was true, but they had the seventh best defense in basketball. How do you do that? You know? And the answer to me is pretty simple. If you guys remember yesterday when I was talking about the Miami Heat, um, I was talking about how on offense, they squeeze things out on the margin to improve their offense despite being a weak half-court offense. The same goes for, for the defensive end of the floor. I talked about, I compared it to football and baseball in terms of like special teams or like manufacturing runs with like, uh, 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 you know, bunting to get a base runner on or uh, stealing bases, sacrifice flies, things along those lines. There's like the core concept of basketball, you know, which is scoring in a half court five on five environment. But then there's all these ancillary things, defensive rebounding, offensive rebounding, transition defense, transition offense, right? Like um, we, we talked, I, I went over all the different things yesterday. But there are this particular team, this this um, um, this Dallas Mavericks defense, despite not having the right personnel, was able to squeeze out an above average defense by all of the little things. So, for instance, they defended the three point line really well, which is just scheming. That's smart. It's math. That's the most valuable shot. If you pro- that and layups are the most valuable shot. Now they were a pretty average paint defense to be expected. But if you guard the three-point line and you guard the paint really well, you'll force teams to operate in the mid-range. 
and even the, and no player in the league really, except for the top handful, is efficient enough in that range to make you pay. So they only allowed 10.9 made threes per game, which led the league. They were eighth in free free throw attempts allowed, so they don't foul. Again, that's coaching. Uh, they were an above average transition defense. Getting back in transition, communicating with each other, who's got the paint, spreading out to your shooters after that. And they were a top ten defensive rebounding team. They secured seventy three point three percent of available rebound uh, available defensive rebounds. So again, like even though they weren't great defensively in the core principles of defense, they were excellent in all these ancillary things. They had a smart scheme. You know, they guarded the three point line well. They double every uh, uh, mismatch. They double their uh, players out of mismatches when that becomes a problem. They rotate really well when things break down. By if they don't foul, they get back in transition. By doing those things, they were able to squeeze out and grind out a uh, the number seven defense in the league. It's about controlling what you can control. You can't control your personnel, but you control being well coached. You can control boxing out. You can control sprinting back and on in, on defense and transition. You can control coming up with a smart scheme by paying attention to what's going on around you in the league. Um, the unfortunate reality was, and, and this is what I said all last season, uh, you Mavericks fans who listened last year will remember, as their defense was progressing towards the tail end of the season, I kept pointing out the fact that the personnel might end up being a problem in a playoff series against a team that can expose them. Well, Golden State just completely put them in the blender. I want to say their defensive rating in the regular season was about 109 points per 100 possessions allowed. Golden State scored 120.3 points per 100 possessions. So their discipline, all of those things that we talked about just didn't hold up under Golden State's motion-heavy offense. They fell apart on that front. Now, some of this is Golden State. Golden State's a really unique team. They do things very differently. It's differently than anybody else in the league. So there's not really a whole lot you can do to prepare for them. And I've talked about this a lot on the show, but Golden State tends to have an advantage early in playoff series because of the fact that what they do is so different. And it's not incredibly uncommon to fall down 2-0 to them. That's what happened, and they weren't able to dig out. Uh, Let's look at Christian Wood on the defensive end of the floor for just a second. He was a horrible defensive player in Houston, but it was for a very bad team. He does have the athletic tools. He's tall, he's got long arms, he can move his feet. The problem is, is that defensive habits and, you know, defensive IQ takes time to build. So it's just going to be a really interesting challenge for Jason Kidd and for Christian Wood himself to make that transition quickly. Because it's either going to – Christian Wood's a good basketball player. He's going to be in this league for a long time. My guess is he'll be a very, very good role player at a minimum five, ten years – or like not ten years, but five years from now, right? Like when he's in his early 30s. But the question is, is is it going to take him until then to learn how to be a productive defensive player? Or is it something that he can figure out in one training camp with Jason Kidd? That's a huge swing factor for this particular season. I'm really curious to see what happens. The best case scenario for this team is basically everything that happened in the first two rounds of the playoffs. It's modern basketball personified, you know, maximizing things on the margins, slowing the pace down, strangling the game down into a isolation contest where it's like you're trying to go punch for punch with Luka Doncic in this slow game that's just stuck in the mud. And Luka, Luka is one of the best isolation players in the league and one of the best pick and roll players in the league. So he's going to beat you a lot of the time in that. And that's what he did to Utah, and that's what he did to Phoenix. 
but Luka fell apart against Golden State. He only shot 41.5% in that series. A lot of credit to Andrew Wiggins and the job that he did on him. But in order for them to hit, hit their ultimate ceiling, which is holding the Larry, O'Bri- uh, the Larry O'Brien trophy, and I absolutely think the Mavericks had that capability, Luka would have to remain hot for four series, for 16 wins. Definitely something he's capable of. He eventually ran out of gas in the conference finals last year. Um, in order to reach this ceiling, I think they absolutely have to sign somebody to replace Brunson. I think Dennis Schroeder is the obvious choice. I don't think they're a contender unless they get that third creator, but I am calling them a contender because I sincerely believe they will get that guy, even if it's not Dennis Schroeder. Um, Christian, what if Christian Wood brings a huge scoring punch and finds a way to fit in defensively? That's a big swing factor because he's a fringe all-star level talent. He's not a fringe all-star. He's a fringe all-star level talent in terms of what he brings to the table as a basketball player. If all of that comes together, they can win the title, but make no mistake, it's all on Luka. I've described this tier as the the puncher's chance tier. And the puncher, in this case, is Luka. And if he's not at his absolute best for all four rounds, they can't get it done. He's the, the, uh, the guy who holds all the pressure in that regard. Worst case scenario is they fail to find that third creator and they go to it with Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka and they lack shot creation all season. Their defense takes a step back, just like it did in the Golden State series. Their lack of an interior presence gets them killed on the glass. Golden State pulled in 57% of available rebounds in that particular series, although I do think JaVale McGee will help on that a lot. If those sorts of things happen, they're certainly at risk to lose in the second round as well. Or excuse me, the first round. Just about every team the rest of the way, their low side is to lose in the first round. There is no world-beating roster out there. There, there I would say only four teams like – Clippers, Celtics, Warriors, and um, Bucks would be like guarantees to win their first round series. But even then, injuries could take them out. And when we're talking about worst case scenario, we have to factor in injuries. Just ask the Milwaukee Bucks with what happened with Chris Middleton last year. So for the X Factor, what's been the theme for X Factors throughout this whole series? What kind of player have I typically been picking? It's typically been a young player who has a ton of talent, but hasn't quite reached his ultimate ceiling, thus providing a ton of variance in what could happen this season. Well, going to go with Christian Wood then, because that makes a ton of sense for that theme, right? To be consistent. He's skilled and athletic enough to be an all-star, but he has to learn how to impact winning. And those are two completely separate things. I deal with this a lot with young players here in town, especially with the, the high school kids that I coach. Like it's there's a bridge that goes between being a talented basketball player and a winning basketball player. Um, my friend uh, Talib Ukta, who was an All American when I was at uh, uh, at Arizona Christian University, he taught me how to win little by little over the course of my last season in college. He uh, would take me to these like late night three on three runs at the school, and and put me on his team, and just just coached me really hard and not on the. I was all I was always a very talented basketball player, six six, six ten wingspan, could jump out of the gym, could dribble, shoot, all those things. But I was so raw because I started really late. And so I'd like hit a tough step back jump shot or make a really nice driving dunk or something along those lines. And and he would never say anything about that because he didn't care. He already knew I could do that stuff. But like every time that like I'd roll to the basket on a screen and roll and get a dunk, but then on the next possession I'd screen and pop. He'd like scream at me and be like, what are you doing? What you just did 
worked. Why would you not do it again? And in overtime, I would learn like, like we would relentlessly go to the same action until they figured out how to stop it. Every time I, I made, missed a defensive box out, screaming at me. Defensive rebounds are how you win games, Jason. You have to get every single defensive rebound. A bad closeout, bad defensive possession, whatever it was. Over the course of that, uh, that year in those nighttime runs, he slowly chipped away at me and taught me about the things that make a winning basketball player. And, um, and like, I'll never forget that particular year because that was the year that I learned how to be a winner on so many different levels, going from being a scorer at the Juco level to being a role player at, uh, at an, alongside two all American guards. I'm one of the best, uh, uh, NAIA teams in the country. Like that was where I, I learned all of that stuff. And, and fortunately I, I was able to pick it up pretty quickly, but that's going to be the challenge for Christian Wood is how quickly can he pick up on those things? Because right now, as any Rockets fan will tell you, he's not good at those things. Rockets fans would joke, according to my friend Roosh, that every time they'd play a big man, he'd have his career year because Christian Wood, or career game, excuse me, because Christian Wood was guarding him. He He's lacking in those areas. And so it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can pick those up. How quickly can he become a serviceable defender and how quickly can he understand his role within the Mavericks offense? The closer he gets to that all-star level, which obviously he's not that guy, but he's going to be somewhere between where he is now and that level. The closer he is to that level, the higher Dallas' ceiling is, and that's why he's such a big X factor. All right, guys, that is all I have on the Dallas Mavericks. That's all we have for this week. We will be back on Monday with number eight. As always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support, and I will see you guys next week. wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch garage and the car inside and without the right home and auto insurance coverage the cost to repair this could eat up your savings so bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this bundled savings variant are not available in every state coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions it's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.